If you uh, have a Bible, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I always like when this we do this all the songs in a row, they're just big and loud. I don't know why. Probably because I'm so big and loud, obviously. Second Corinthians eight. If you're joining us tonight for the first time, uh we've been going through this letter uh since uh the beginning of the school year basically. And uh, so we're gonna we're just kinda going a little bit at a time. Uh tonight we're gonna go a lot at a time. And probably am, uh, I'm probably about to bite off more than I could chew. And so uh, I want to kind of say this up front. Um, I'm not uh, trying to disrespect parts of this letter in any way. Um, I think that, uh, that every part of Scripture is incredibly valuable. Um, but I, in, I mean, you could spend just forever and ever and ever going so slowly uh, through these verses and stuff. There's just so much in all of them. Um, I feel like for our time together, a part of a part of what I do in prepping is just try to say, okay, Lord, what what for tonight? And so I just feel like for us, uh, we're gonna just we're gonna move really quickly through two of these sections and then kind of hang out more in uh, one of them or whatever. So I uh, hope that you don't interpret that as me not thinking these are important because I definitely do. Um, we're gonna start in verse 16. Do I look really blue? Yeah? I feel really blue. Smurf-tastic. There we go. Um, here we go. Uh, let me give, i tell you what, let me give you, I meant to do this. Let me, just real quick, up front. Um, this, uh, what's going on at this point in the letter is uh, Paul is, um, there's been all kind of church drama. And he'd been dealing with that from afar through these letters and different things. And so they kind of have worked through a lot of that drama up to this point in the letter. And so now, uh, in the beginning of, of chapter 8, like we talked about last week, um, he starts addressing uh, taking up an offering for the Christians who live in Jerusalem and in Judea, kind of just in that area. Uh, they were experiencing a lot of persecution. There's a lot of poverty because they were kind of blackballed because they left their Jewish faith and uh, converted to Christianity. And so they were just being treated terribly. And so. Uh, churches in other regions were collecting money to send to them to help relieve, you know, some of that, uh, and uh, try to to just pass on um, the grace that had come into their lives financially, pass it on to their brothers and sisters who were suffering and and uh, unable to keep like get jobs and keep jobs and just being treated terribly and and try to help uh, ease the burden of some of that poverty, and um, so. The church in Corinth had been real fired up about this offering, and then all this drama happened, and they basically they just never took it up. And so Paul's kind of lighting the fire again um, and teaching them, uh, or, or he's lighting the fire about taking up the offering, but the way he's doing that is by teaching them about uh, giving and generosity and all that kind of stuff uh, in a theological sense. Um, and so at this point in the in the letter, uh, if you if your Bible breaks into nice you know sections and stuff, from here to the end of the chapter. Um, this is basically what he's about to say. It's just easier for me to say it, and then we read it. Um, uh, he's sending Titus uh, to be uh, a representative uh, and to actually do the collecting of the offering. And so basically what he's about to tell him is, look, Titus has the same heart for you that I have for you. Um, God has given him the same love, the same affection, 
the same uh, belief in you uh, that I have. And so when he comes, he's not some second-rate guy coming. Um, like God is sending him and has equipped him just like he's equipped me, meaning Paul. Um, and then he, he's going to talk about how he's kind of, it's not just Titus, that there's kind of a, a, a posse that he's sending, that they've uh, put this team together of people with uh, good reputations um, and who people who are trustworthy to be able to come to Corinth to collect this offering and to be responsible with getting it back to Jerusalem where it's supposed to go. And so um, there's something incredibly uh, valuable that he's teaching as he's explaining. Um, and that's something that, that, uh, that I love about Paul. Jesus does the same thing. Um, he's not only uh, like giving them like FYI, Titus is coming. Um, he's shepherding them and teaching them in the way he like hands out the information. I think that's a beautiful thing, and that's such an important thing, and especially uh, for for you guys who are um, who are husbands and fathers. Uh, there's just like just some really valuable stuff in here um, for you, and I don't mean to pick on you or like exalt you too much, but just there's something something cool in here. So look at look at what he says. Um, he says, "But thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you, for he not only accepted our appeal." But being himself very earnest, he's going to you of his own accord. With him we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. And we don't know who that is, uh, but he's famous. Not only that, he's so famous he didn't even have to say his name. That's famous. Not only that, but he's been appointed by the churches to travel with us as we carry out this act of grace that is being ministered by us. That's just talking about the offering. Um, for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our goodwill. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that's being administered by us. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. With them we're sending our brother, whom we've often tested and found earnest in many matters, who's now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he's my partner and fellow worker for your benefit. As for our brothers, they are messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ. So give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Now, he's, like I say, he's not just passing on information. Um, he's communicating something really important. Um, he's saying, look, we've put... Uh, a team of trustworthy men together to be able to walk in integrity uh, before the Lord, and before man, in carrying this out. See, dealing with finances is such a I mean, it's such an easy foothold for the enemy. It's such an easy place for people to get tripped up and get in trouble by shady dealings with money, um, and especially in churches. I mean, churches get in all kinds of trouble for stuff like this. Um, and there are, I mean, there's just story after story about preachers skimming off the top, uh, you know, uh, financial financial secretaries, like, embezzling money and doing all this stuff. There's just things happen all the time. Uh, there's just something about money that makes people just do the most ridiculous things ever. And, uh, and so he's teaching them, like, hey, um, not only is this offering really important because of the grace that's going to flow, into the lives of these believers. Um, uh, not only is it um, going to be good for 
for you as the ones who are giving. Um, and this, this is so important that we're going to safeguard it from this becoming a reason for people to uh, uh, criticize or find fault with our ministry. And more important than that, we want right standing before the Lord because we know what he can do with this. And we don't want to get our flesh all caught up in this offering and, and whatever. So there's a team of trustworthy people that are going to handle this. Um, Paul had some critics that were saying, yeah, he's just going to keep the money. And he's like, no, I'm not going to keep the money. In fact, I'm not even going to collect the money. And I've assembled this team of people that you know and you trust, and they're going to be the ones to handle it. And so, you know, for us as a church, we have a, we have a finance team that uh, they take what goes in the buckets back there, and they, they record it, and they deposit it, and they keep everything straight. And uh, then they advise the elders when it comes to budget and stuff, and the elders are the final, like, elders have the final say with budget things. Um, and there's just there's great accountability and great integrity there. And we, as a church, we work hard for that. That's an important thing for us. Um, you know, we have uh, Taylor and Angel are kind of the bookkeeper people, and we, we lean very heavily on them. But you know why we can lean heavily on them. Because just like Paul's saying here, like there's trustworthiness there, and there's openness there, and there's nothing closed, nothing hidden. I mean, that's, that's 15 sets of eyes that are constantly looking at things that we do financially here. Um, and just a little side note. The elders never see who gives what. So don't ever. Sometimes people come up and be like, hey, I'm sorry I didn't really give too well in 2009. But, you know, I'm like, hey, 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 stop. I don't know that. I don't want to know that. Shame on you. Just kidding. Um, and so, you know, I, I think what Paul is doing is he's communicating. He's also he's teaching the leaders of this church. I think he's teaching every one of us something important about stewardship. That as God entrusts money to us to meet our needs and to help meet the needs of, of others, um, it's not something that we should just be super flippant about. It's not something we should just kind of just blast through life and not really worry about it and just kind of, you know, whatever. Like, it's, it's a legitimate thing for us. And so, like, budgeting and watching our spending and all these kind of things that uh, it's not just to keep us in check with the IRS. It's not just to make sure that, like, you know, I don't get fired or something. It's not all that kind of stuff. We want the Lord to look at us and say, that's what good stewards do. The money that I have entrusted to you, that's how you are a good steward of it. That's what Paul's teaching them here. He's like, hey, we're going to be good stewards of this. So it seems really subtle. And it seems like he's like, hey, just so you know, Titus is going to show up. But there's there's more to it. He's communicating more. I look at the next thing. Um, this is... You see his pastor's heart come out, and I, I dig this. Starting uh, verse 1 of chapter 9. It says, Now it is superfluous. Superfluous? It is unnecessary for me. Uh, that's Greek. Sorry. I don't know Greek. I'm just kidding. Uh, superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast a about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Acacia has been ready since last year. Okay, remember? Talking about before, they were super pumped. He's like, look, I know that you're ready. I know that you have the right heart for this. Um, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. 
But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised, so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction. So he's saying, okay, look, I'm, I'm, I'm sending this group to collect the money, but I'm also sending them um, to make sure that you're ready to give because um, I don't want you to be embarrassed if you're not ready. He says, you were ready a year ago, and then all this drama went down, so you're kind of coming back around, coming, kind of getting back into the swing of things. Um, it's like, I, don't want, I don't want it to be weird. So if I show up, and I've been saying, this is such a giving church, such a giving church, such a giving church, and I show up and you aren't ready, that's damaging to you, it's damaging to me, it's damaging to them, it's damaging to everybody. So I'm sending this team to get you ready, in case you aren't ready. Because this giving to this offering is too important to to your own like development spiritually. So I was looking at that and I was like, okay, that's another thing. Seems kind of logistic. But what a what a great heart for the people. I know it kind of reads like he's like trying to save face a little bit. Like I don't want to look bad when I, if I show up or whatever, you know. But he's really trying to say, look, this could be really damaging. It, this could be a damaging experience to you if it's not handled properly. Like, so I'm going to send this convoy ahead so that this whole experience is everything that it needs to be, so that you're not hurt by that. And I was really, I, I, that just kind of settled in with me in a good place a little bit because um, it helped it kind of helps you see the way Paul sees it. Like, it's real easy to, um, like, let's let's take Advent Conspiracy for us at, at the ring, and we're, so we're taking up this money all during Advent, and we take this offering for the well, uh, to dig wells in parts of the world where they're drinking out of just stagnant ponds, you know, they don't have clean drinking water. So we take up this money, we send it to this organization, they go dig freshwater wells. Um, I think I'm very guilty of, uh, as a, as a pastor, um, really recognizing the benefit on that side of the world, the recipients of the well. And I think I lose sight of what that cultivates in us as the givers, you know, as the ones being generous and putting money in that well bucket. And the fact that that experience, uh, it could be a damaging one for us. I mean, that Think about a couple of years, like, like let's say that some report comes out tomorrow, and we find out that Living Water International has like has not been digging wells. Like they've been, whatever, stealing all the money or all this kind of stuff, whatever, faking the, the videos, all, they're just a complete fraud. I think that would be a damaging thing for us. And not just because, like, you know how much money I gave them? Not because of that. Because, like, no, we prayed for them, you know? Like, we we looked at our Christmas budgets and figured out how to do this, and and prayed for the, the organization and the people on the other side, and we it, it affected our Christmas and theirs and all stuff, and then that would be that would be rough. 
And I think I fail to see how how equal the blessing is that comes from God. Is what I'm getting at. That it blesses them, but it blesses us also. And what Paul's doing here, and he's like, look, this is such a big deal. Like, I want to make sure that this is everything that God wants it to be. All the way across the board. So in order to prevent any sort of damage or feeling weird or it just being one of those things like, oh, remember that time we collected an offering for Jerusalem? That was weird. He's like, no, no, it needs to be something that propels you forward to give more and uh, and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't need to be something that is weird. And I, just, I love the way he's just he's guarding their hearts so much. And so in this really cool way, and you find, like I said, Jesus does this all throughout the Bible. It does this. It's, there's information being communicated. But that information is just packed with discipleship. And then he, like, he, it's almost like he's been doing this and doing this, and then he just cuts right to the chase. And this is this is just like one of the like the meatiest uh, passages of, of scripture um, that we've gotten to so far. Look at look at verse uh, look at yeah verse six. He's like, all right, the point is this, and then he puts a cold. And I really like that, you know, because it's like, look, I've been saying this and this and this, and if you want to really know what the point is, I'm going to put a colon. This may not be the case in Greek, but it is in my Bible when I like it. The point is this, colon. Uh, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. All right, let's stop right there. Um, so you want to talk about an abused verse? That one. That is horribly um, interpreted and taught all over the place and probably has been for a really long time. Uh, there are these prosperity preachers who are a joke. And and I, I feel like people at the ring, I feel like you have a pretty good filter. And so you, I don't think you sit there and you watch, you know, a guy whose last name is Dollar, you know, and you're like, oh, this is, I'm going to join his church online. Uh, and all it takes is you have to give. Um, I'm pretty sure that like that you understand like prosperity gospel. That when when stuff like this is preached, and it's like so that just means that God wants you to live in the biggest house in the neighborhood and drive the best cars or whatever. So you give to the church, and the more you give, the more is going to come back to you. And and I think I it's one of those things because in the Bible, like money is one of the few places where God says, "You test me in this." And so I think the line between accurate gospel and prosperity gospel gets kind of hazy because it comes down to interpretation and stuff. And so um, this verse like clearly says, um, like you reap what you sow. And um, rather than try and interpret that verse uh, as a standalone, we're just going to keep going and see if the context of everything else helps us interpret that verse better, which it will. Okay. Um, so look at the next verse. We'll come back to that one. Each, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. All right? Every church offering envelope I've ever seen has that verse on it. Uh, and so let's, let's look at it real quick. Uh, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Um Reluctant givers, that's when, like, you're given, but you're like, I would really like this money. Like, you're kind of hanging on to it. Like, you're writing that check, and you're like, you know, 
do you know how many whatevers I could buy with this money? Um, you see that, and you put it in that bowl, but you're, you're holding on to it. And you're kind of resenting the fact that you just did it. And at one of the commentaries I read, it said, reluctant givers, they grieve over, over giving. You know? They're like, well, I mean, it's the right thing to do. But, you know. That's reluctant giving. Giving under compulsion, that's, that's, you know, well, it's time to pay the church our monthly dues, you know, kind of mindset. That's, uh, you're, you're treating it kind, kind of like a bill, kind of like a whatever, and it's just like, well, it's just what I do. And in both cases, there there are heart issues, and that's really where the verse lands about God loving a cheerful giver. Um, it's not saying that if you don't give cheerfully, God doesn't love you. That's not it's not what it means. Um, this verse teaches us one um, that giving is going to be something that is incredibly personal for us. Like when you uh, when you give to the offering at the church, or if you don't go to this church, to your church or whatever. Um, it's there's going to be an individual aspect to it, and it's something where like you and I come before the Lord and it we pray and decide in our hearts uh, what we're supposed to give, how much we're supposed to give, or whatever. And there needs to be a heart check to it, and that's why He says, "Look, you decide, you you give like you have decided, um, not under compulsion and not reluctantly, but cheerfully." And the reason why He says that God loves a cheerful giver is because a cheerful giver, like, gets it. Cheerful giver understands, uh, this is not my money. This is money that's entrusted to me. And God is, has graciously met my needs through this. And now he is allowing me to graciously meet the needs of someone else through this. And the love part comes in, and in the same way, it's the same idea in the Greek, where, uh, where you have like a parent who's watching uh, one of their kids take care of one of, 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 the, uh, of one of their siblings. It's that feeling, if you're a parent, like you probably, maybe you've never experienced that, uh, watching your kids take care of each other. But uh, sometimes it happens. And, uh, um, but the, the feeling of, of you watch those siblings, like whatever it is, defend each other, provide for each other, um, uh, it's so cool to watch, like, like two kids playing, you know, their brother and sister or whatever, or two boys or whatever, and they kind of act like they don't like each other, and one of them gets hurt, and the other one's, like, hugging him, you know, coaching him through it. Parent watching that, that's God loving the cheerful cheerful giver. That's God looking at that situation and saying, look at, look at my kids taking care of each other. Thank you. I love that. that that's what it is. He's smiling at the heart that is writing the check. He's not smiling at the check. That's that's a massive thing. That's prosperity gospel has like those preachers have no they never bring the heart into it. It's all about what's coming back. It's all about what you can buy. It's all just mis misleading and all that kind of stuff. It's never about the heart. This verse is all about the heart. And so what we have to do is we have to really examine uh, our hearts and our motives and say when I give is it reluctant? Am I holding on to it? Do I resent the offering? Is it like a bill? Is it too easy? Is it too automatic? Um, and that's real easy to fix. Because you just begin to pray about your finances. and Say, God, I obviously treat paying my tithe to the church just like paying my electricity. 
uh, that needs to change. And they'll change it. You're not going to just turn on a dime, probably. I'm not going to turn on a dime. It's something that we're learning how to do. Uh, look at the next verse. Um, it says, verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I mean, could he be more thorough? But you can't get a more thorough sentence than that. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I think we have to let that truth just sink deep into our hearts. Um, that the God looks at your life and he says, you know what, I'm completely able. I have the power to make all grace abound to you. You know, that has nothing to do with money. I mean, money's, yeah, money's a part of it. Shelter is a part of it. Food is a part of it. Relationships are a part of it. Bigger part, salvation. Bigger part, his spirit. Bigger part, uh, fruit that that spirit is in us. Bigger part, uh, spiritual gifts. Uh, you know, salvation, all that kind of stuff. Those are all bigger than money and shelter and all that kind of stuff. But you know what? Every bit of it is all grace. So when he says all grace, he means all grace. Like he has the power to make all that stuff abound in your life. And for people who tend to sit back and make lists of what they don't have or what they want or what they're trying to get, that's a challenging verse for us. And I think we all kind of have that tendency, and maybe we kind of go in and out of it sometimes, but uh, it's so easy to think in terms of what you don't have. When you sit back and you you say, okay, maybe God's looking at my life and he's saying, you know what, all grace is abounding in your life right now. You lack nothing. You want for nothing. You have everything that you need. All grace. That's it. What a freeing, what a, just a liberating thought for us. All grace abounds so that having all sufficiency or contentment, it's kind of the same word, in all things at all times. Okay? So, needs met su sufficiently Every single one of those needs would be all things, and at all times that there's just there is not a moment where um, where that isn't the case. And you know we easily so easily focus on circumstances. Say, yeah, but what about this? And this is happening to me right now, and I'm missing all this kind of stuff. And I really think that that God looks at that and He says, you know what? You realize that those are just circumstances. Like that's just it's just like what appears on the surface. You're totally freaking out about something that's just—it's just an appearance. It's just a—it's completely false and external. So this is what's real. So yeah, your circumstances might not be ideal, and things might be uncomfortable right now, or maybe you're about to go into that, or maybe you're coming out of that, or whatever. Yeah, there are circumstances that are, they're just a drag. And he's talked about the God of all comfort, 
in this letter already. And he's talking about difficulty. He's talked about suffering and all these kinds of things. And he's like, look, this is, this is the reality of our situation. All grace is abounding to us. All sufficiency in all things at all times. So the truth is, we're good. Circumstances may look weird. Our feelings may be up and down. But when it comes to what is real, that's real. So that we may abound in every good work. Like that, in a literal, like from the Greek text, it literally means in all of your activities. That the grace of God does not stop with you and with me. Talk, you, know, you kind of touched on this last week. And this, this might be the dumbest thing ever, but I was thinking about this today, just that concept of grace flowing into our lives and then through us to others. For some reason, I started thinking about uh, water slides. And there's uh, somewhere in my life, I went to a water park, and there was this water slide kind of thing. It was one of these deals where, like, you get the big tube, a big, like, round inner tube kind of deal the, with the handles on it. And you, like, go through whatever, and you come down, and you hit this big pool. And there's, like, ten other people in there. And you kind of float around this pool or whatever until, like, you get over to the thing, and there's another slide going down. It goes around whatever. It goes to another pool. And so when you hit the pool, you're, like, kind of trying to, like, move people around. Everybody's trying to, like, paddle themselves over to get to the next part, you know. And there's always some kid stuck in the current, and he, like, can't really get out, you know. And, uh, and you're like, forget that kid, man. I'm going. And so you just, and so you work your way down, like, through these series of pools, and then, like, the last one's, like, this crazy whatever, and you're like, then you go into the, at the very bottom, you know, the big pool, the big catch-all pool. Um, and I don't know why, I was thinking about that, and how, like, we are, and we are, we're those pools up, up the slide, you know. Like, it's like the grace of God flows into our lives. We're like that pool, and the grace is like, you know, kids on inner tubes or whatever, coming into our, into our lives, uh, and it's there, and then it flows out of that pool, and it goes down, whatever, into another pool. Like, we, we as Christians, and then beyond that, just as people on the planet, we're just this series of all these pools. And so the infinite grace of God is just, I'm just steady flowing, just constantly flowing, taking care of things, all sufficiency in all things at all times, just always, always, always. And it comes into our lives, and then it goes out of our lives into somebody else's life. But just always. Constantly. And the tragedy is, I think, instead of thinking of ourselves as this network of pools, we sometimes think of ourselves as the pool at the bottom that just catches everything. And there's no outlet. That's the end of the ride. And Paul is correcting that. Say, no, 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 no. All this grace that's coming from God, you abound all these things, it just equips you for every good work. It it gets you good to go, meets your needs, and flows into somebody else's life. You're never supposed to be the pool at the bottom. It just keeps going and going and going. From the infinite supply of God. That's all it does. Look at the next thing. Um, verse 9. Says, As it is written, he's distributed freely, he's given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. It doesn't sound like prosperity gospel to me. He's given to the poor. 
and what comes back to him is righteousness? Huh. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Righteousness. That's what's coming back. You can look at verse 6 and talk about uh, sowing sparingly, reaping sparingly, sowing bountifully, reaping bountifully. Put a little bit in, you get a little bit back kind of deal. But what Paul's saying is that you, when grace flows into your life, like flows out of the pool that is you into somebody else, you know what's coming this way? More righteousness. Like the grace of God and your the harvest of your righteousness is growing. There isn't just unimaginable spiritual benefit to the generosity of our lives. And when, and I think that generosity, I mean, here he's talking about money, because that's where he is in the letter. When you read, like, the, the whole coverage of like, all of Paul's letters and everything, when he talks about being generous, it's not just financial. It's our entire life of generosity. It's generous with, with our time. And, I mean, just being willing to invest time in people and and sit down with people and stop to help people when they need it. Um, that's most of the time. It's what keeps us from serving others. Is not that we don't really want to. It's just that we like we don't want to take the time out of our schedule to do it. So it's being generous in that sense of saying like I've always got enough time. I can always help somebody. It's being generous with the things that that you're good at. Like, I love people who just have these natural abilities and they just so willingly share them with people. I go back again to our finance team. They're all everybody on there is like I'm pretty good with numbers, and I kind of have a background in it. And if I can serve the church in this capacity, I'll, I'll do that. I'll be generous with my time. I'll be generous with the things that I'm naturally good at in a way to serve this ministry. And what happens? We have a prayer team, and those people have said, "I will give up the time. Uh, like I feel like that's worth my time to to pray for the needs that are there. I'm naturally drawn to that. I, I want to serve in that way. There's just this generosity that's incredible." We have community group leaders who've said, look, uh, I'll, I'll prep to lead that discussion. I'll send the emails. I'll um, set up the hangout nights. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll come to the community group leaders because they're generous, understanding that the grace that's flown into their lives is supposed to go into other people's lives. And they said, look, there's, they're the lives it needs to go to in that sense. It's generosity that's there, and the harvest that is reaped from that is righteousness. Remember we talked about righteousness being uh, the like action that is consistent with the holiness of God. So we kind of talked about if if you're the difference between holiness and glory and righteousness is like uh, if if the light of the sun is its glory, the fire of the sun is its holiness. So holiness produces glory, and the righteousness of the sun is that the sun is going to always act like the sun, always. It's gonna it's gonna just it's gonna burn. And it's going to hold the universe together. And everything's going to revolve around. It's always going to, it's just going to be there. Even last night, you know, big moon, whatever. Moon's not even, moon isn't consistent with the moon. The sun is consistent with the sun. We're saying for us, is as we give, what we reap in return is a harvest of righteousness. It's more and more and more and more acting like the holy ones that we that we really are. That when we are generous... And we share everything about our lives with people, whether it's money or time or things we're good at or your background, anything, whatever, that produces something in your heart that shapes shapes you 
grows you, matures you. The people in life that you look at them and you say, I want to be them when I grow up, every one of them is generous, I promise you. You never look at someone who's selfish with their time and their money or whatever. You never look and say, I want to be that guy when I grow up. No, never. It's always people who are generous because they walk out what they believe. And so Paul is driving at something. He's like, look, this is about more than an offering. This is about your very souls. It's about you being formed into the image of Christ. So when you go back and you read that verse, verse 6, the point is this, colon, well, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. When you think of it as reaping in terms of, of righteousness, it completely changes everything. It blows those prosperity jokers out of, the, out of the water, and it completely changes the way we look at giving. That when you put money in the buckets back there, or when you give to admin conspiracy, or you do whatever, that that is a soul-forming um, action for you. That that is worship. That's why we have the station set up in the back. And that's why we don't pass a plate. We say, hey, we want you to, to give. We want you to remember to write the check. We want you to take the effort to go back there. We want that to be something where, like, no, this is, this is an action for us. This is something important. This is something formative. We want you to have the freedom to do that at the beginning or during the songs or sometimes it happens during the sermon. It's kind of weird, but that's okay. Um, we want you to have the freedom to go back there and to do that whenever you want because it is, it's about more than that. We're not trying to build an empire of a church. It has nothing to do with it. Hopefully, uh, honestly, like I just hope that we always have 3% of our budget donated to rent instead of 30-plus percent devoted to paying electricity and insurance on a building we're trying to pay for. That's where most, ch- most churches are. And so we're sitting here being like, 3%? Awesome. That's 97% into things that matter so much more. I dig that. Let's keep going. Verse 11, you'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Okay, everything I just said, there it is. You'll be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Like giving produces worship. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you know what? These, uh, these believers in Jerusalem, when they get this money, you know what they're going to do? They're going to praise God for meeting their needs. They're not going to praise you. They'll probably thank you and they'll acknowledge you. and You're going to be important to them. They're going to thank God for you. But they're going to recognize this didn't come from them. This came from God. Anytime as a church we help people, we always try and convey, like, hey, just so you know, this is not like, hey, the ring uh, community church helped keep my lights on. Or the ring community church did this for me or whatever. No, no. God did this for you. Um, we have the privilege of being, you know, the conduit that he works through, but this is straight from him. So don't don't get those things confused. He's saying that real generosity produces worship. And that blows my mind. But it happens all over the world, all the time. And that's one reason why we love Living Water International, because we watch. They go in there like, tell you what, we're going to dig this well, because God wants you to have this well. And as they're digging it and they're teaching them how to do things, whatever, they're sharing the gospel. Actually, you know, these people are saying, whoever your God is, he's awesome. And he loves us. And we want to know more about him. That produces thanksgiving and worship. That's, that's what it does in us. It's beautiful. Look at the last part. Verse 13. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them 
and for all others. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for this, for his inexpressible gift. He brings it all down. This is his, this is his final point in teaching them about generosity and money and all this kind of stuff. He says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. You know what he's talking about? Jesus. The grace of God in Christ has made all this stuff possible. That only, only God could make this kind of stuff happen. His grace flows in our lives, it flows in other people's lives, results in thanksgiving and praise, and just only, only He could do that. Only He could do that, and He made that possible because of Jesus. All grace abounds to you and to me because of Jesus. And Paul just ends by almost being so overwhelmed, just like. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift to us. That the best grace that comes into our lives is not money or shelter or anything like that. As great as our church is and we love each other so much, it's not our church. As great as your spouse is, it's not your spouse. As great as your kids are, it's not your kids. It's Jesus. Just talking about all this stuff evokes worship in Paul. What the heck? That's what I want to do. Like, I want to end up talking about this so much and just end up being like, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift to us, that he has made all this possible, that we get to be a part of all this stuff. Beautiful, beautiful gospel. Let's pray. Lord, we have so much to learn. I mean, it's unbelievable sometimes to me, and uh, we just we need you to teach us. We thank you that you taught Paul, um, and that he taught others, and that we are here so many years later, able to learn in the same ways. Um, we want you know you know we want to be generous. We don't want to be stingy. We don't want to we don't want to hoard uh, anything. We kind of have that leaning sometimes. We kind of we don't want to be the pool at the bottom of the water slide, but sometimes we are. Um, and we want you to form in us a more accurate picture of your gospel and how you put things together. A gospel that points to you, that leads to thanksgiving, that leads to worship, that leads to, to more grace. We thank you that you you literally tell us in this passage, um, you be generous. And I'll create a harvest of righteousness in your heart and your mind. And so we, we just in all humility, we want to take you up on that. We know that that begins with us realizing that all grace does abound in us. That we have all sufficiency in all things at all times. So I pray, Father, that you would let us begin there. Let us begin with Christ and what you've provided for us through the cross. May that be where we where we sink our roots down. You know, May that be what's at the base of everything for us. And then the more we value and treasure who you are, that'll just erupt in generosity and hospitality and erupt in so many things that 
are all forms of worship. So help us to get the order right. And ask you, just even in these moments tonight, that you would uh, stir us, that you would form things in us, um, that we walk out tonight and say, I know I met with the Lord because something ain't, it ain't the same as it was when I walked in. We're leaning on you, relying on you. But all that comes because we just want to focus on you. You are enough for us. Every thirst, every need is satisfied by you.